go to the scripture today. Matthew chapter 16, verses 21 through 28. We hear the gospel. Hear now the words of Jesus. From that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and undergo great suffering at the hands of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him saying, God forbid it, Lord, this must never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. For you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. Then Jesus told his disciples, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit them if they gain the whole world but forfeit their life? Or what will they give in return for their life? For the Son of Man is to come with his angels in the glory of his Father. And then he will repay everyone for what has been done. Truly I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I invite you to be seated. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, as scripture is read, as word is proclaimed, help us here with joy what you say to us this day in your name. Amen. So, brownie points to anyone here today who can name the president that instituted Labor Day. Any guesses? <clears throat> Roosevelt's always the first guess. I've asked this hundreds of times, not in churches necessarily, but in other places. Roosevelt's always a good guess, but it's not. It's not Washington. <laughs> Who else? Any other guesses? I'll give you one or two. These are all great guesses, but it's not correct. You'll never guess. It was 1894 as a response to the Pullman Railroad strike. President Grover Cleveland announced a day of rest from labor. And it since has become Labor Day. Now you have a little bit of tidbit this morning. If you learn nothing else today, <laughs> you learned that. <clears throat> I found a story this week that made me chuckle about Labor Day. And I hope you will find it just as giggly. So the story goes, my first job was working in an orange juice factory, but I got canned. Because I couldn't concentrate. Oh, it gets better. <laughs> then I worked in the woods as a lumberjack, but I just couldn't hack it. 
So they gave me the axe. After that, I tried to be a tailor, but I just, it, it, I just wasn't suited for it. Maybe because it was a so-so job. Next, I tried working in a muffler factory, but that was too exhausting. <laughs> then I tried to be a chef, figured it would add a little spice to my life, but I just didn't have the time I attempted to be a deli worker, but anyway, I sliced it, I couldn't cut the mustard. My jet best job was being a musician, Micah, but eventually I found I wasn't noteworthy. <laughs> I studied for a long time to become a doctor, but I didn't have any patience. You're tired of this yet? Next was a job in a shoe factory. I tried, but I just didn't fit in. I became a professional fisherman, but discovered I couldn't live on my net income. I managed to get a good job working for a pool maintenance company, but the work was just too draining. I know, it's reaching now. So then I got a job in a workout center, but they said I wasn't fit for the job. I'm almost done. <laughs> After many years of trying to find steady work, I finally got a job as a historian until I realized there was no future in it. <laughs> and finally, my favorite one, my last job was working at a Starbucks, but I had to quit because it was always the same old grind. <laughs> we have to... <laughs> I didn't write it, I promise. I just thought it was punny. We have to have a little bit of fun because we know God had a sense of humor. I look in the mirror every morning and realize that. So, <laughs> When you think of the word disciple, what's the first name that comes to mind? Jesus. How about Peter? James? John? Andrew? How about Bartholomew and Nathaniel? How about names like Moses, Samuel, David? Would they qualify as disciples? Well, let's clarify what a disciple is today. A disciple is not simply the name given to a group of people. But a disciple is anyone who is a learner of God. Anyone who is a learner of God. The Greek word for disciple is the word mathetes. You see the root word in mathetes? It is one of those words that you look at and say, Get thee behind me, Satan. <laughs> Because math was not my subject in high school. Can I get an amen? <laughs> it's not my subject as an adult either. <laughs> if there's anything to get the Holy Spirit going, it's a hate for math. But the Greek word mathetes, with its root word math, is the definition of disciple. And it literally means the mental effort needed to think things through. 
The definition of math is the mental effort needed to think things through, i.e., to learn, to be a learner. So in and of itself, a disciple is not one who uh, merely learns a subject and acts in a way of another because it is what they were told to do or is because of something that they have to learn. But to differentiate a learner from a disciple is this. A disciple is one who learns because they want to. Because they want to. Today, we are going to see how Jesus called people to be his disciples and how he added to this definition of discipleship and carried, uh, characterized it as a forsaking all else followership. Followership. Yes, pastors are allowed to create words. It's my sermon. I can create any words I want. <laughs> Amen? <laughs> A forsaking all followership. So in calling his disciples, Jesus began a process of reframing the idea of discipleship. Before Jesus, the idea of a disciple had, sim had simply meant a learner, right? As we have established Almost uh, an, an apprentice of life, right? One who studies, who follows the master around, who learns the intricate details of the master and learns how to replicate it. But, but Jesus, in Jesus' way, adds a new dimension to the idea and definition of a disciple. Jesus was changing the idea of a disciple from someone who is only a learner to someone who is also a follower. A follower. Are you with me this morning? I like it. I like it. You see, Jesus was a rabbi. Jesus was a teacher. But, but he didn't just want his students to learn. Here we see Jesus literally giving the disciples a new vocation, a new way of living. In this, Jesus went way beyond the traditional notion of discipleship as learning. <clears throat> this call that Jesus places on the disciple through our scripture today was the same as it is today as it was 2,000 years ago. So the question is, how does this impact the very nature of our identity as Christians? As who we proclaim to follow. If you get nothing else today, get this. Jesus wants us to give our lives completely over to him. In every way. In every moment, Jesus wants our 100% dedication to him. When we do that, you'd be surprised how the weight can get pulled off of the greatest stresses of life. And we can go forward in an unknown world 
knowing that Jesus is the most sure thing there is. Can I get an amen? (laughs) Jesus is the most sure thing there is. Jesus can be trusted. Jesus can be relied upon. In short, there is nothing then that should hold us back from diving in headfirst into a discipleship relationship with Jesus. If that is what we really want, right? A disciple learns not what they're told to learn, but what they desire to learn. In our scripture today, Jesus mentions three things then, three very distinctive things that a disciple must be willing to do in order to give 100% over to Jesus and many of us have heard these things growing up forever maybe it's the first time you're hearing these but for some of us these are not new things but have you ever truly dissected what they mean the first thing today Jesus says to say no to yourselves say no to themselves as he is talking to his disciples or another way to say it is to deny self to deny self this simply means being more interested in carrying out the will of christ in our lives than following our own self interests that means putting the teachings of jesus ahead of the ways and expectations of this world that means putting jesus values ahead of institutional values That means putting love and grace above all else. 100% of the time. Deny self. The other is take up your cross daily. Take up your cross daily. So the cross. The cross was one of the most shameful ways of punishment in Jesus's day this was a tool used by the Roman Empire to shame people in their last moment of life it was a tool of punishment it was a tool of crucifixion it was a tool of death and so this would have been a shocking statement to his audience that day take up our cross Jesus what are you trying to tell us But guess what? Jesus knew that they didn't. Because he had already told them briefly, not long before that, in the same time of the passage, that he would have to die and rise again. Jesus knew something they didn't know. And that was what? That Jesus would die on a cross. So to take up our cross daily simply means this. Jesus was identifying himself as set against the ways of the world, right? He was, in a sense, saying then that his disciples must be willing to take on Jesus' identity at the sake of the world shaming and ridiculing us. Because guess what? It will happen, right? It happened to Jesus. It will happen to us. 
we must be willing to put on the identity of Jesus when the world tries to nail us to the cross as well. Because it happens. We see it every day in our world, do we not? To take up our cross daily means to consistently put on the identity of Jesus. Finally, the last one, the shortest, but perhaps the most uh, intricate one. Perhaps the most difficult one. Perhaps the one that needs the most explaining. The words are simply, follow me. Follow me. It's the most demanding, it really is. It means to continue to follow Jesus daily in all of our actions. Through our teenage years, adult years, senior adult years. It means that we will miss the mark, will we not? We will all sin. But it means getting back up. And it means following Jesus again. It means we're human so we will fall short on occasion. Because who has sinned? (laughs) All of us. But who has the same opportunity to get back up? And follow Jesus again. All of us. It means the cycle of falling. But pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps if we have to. Getting back on the horse if you want that one. Whatever it may be. But it means doing it again and again and again. Following Jesus through thick and thin. To follow Jesus, sisters and brothers, is a lifetime commitment. It's not a season that rises and sets. It is a lifelong covenant. It starts whenever we invite Jesus. Actually, it started before that, right? Because God loved us before we were even born. And then for us, the journey starts when we accept the grace that God offered to us through the death and the resurrection of Jesus on the cross. That is the beginning of our covenant We call it a covenant because a covenant has no end. A covenant has a date. It has has, uh, parameters, but it has no end. It is eternal. To follow Jesus is an eternal commitment. The kind of following Jesus demanded can only be achieved when we put our complete trust and our complete confidence in our Lord. 100%. There can be no holding back. If we are to embrace then this definition of discipleship, we cannot let anything get in our way. We cannot let anything get in our way. We cannot let anything come between us and Christ. God has set the foundation. We've heard it once today. God said, nothing will come between me and my love for you. What should we give Christ in return? The effort that it takes to not let anything come between us and our Lord. Do you agree this morning? As we have to ask ourselves then, are we doing each of these things daily? Because Jesus didn't say in the scripture, take up your cross once a week. 
Jesus didn't say, take up your cross once a morning. Jesus didn't say, take up your cross twice a year. Jesus said, take up your cross daily. And by daily, he means in every moment of every day. So how, we have to ask ourselves then, how are we doing these things? I once had a high school youth age young lady come to me after doing a lesson on this. And she was just in tears. And y'all, the, the maturity of some of our young people gets underestimated. She said to me, halfway through tears, I know I'm not doing these things. I know I'm not assessing this and asking myself these things every morning. I know I can do better. And I will pray to Jesus, to God, to help me do better on these things. A high school kid, y'all. So how are we asking ourselves every day, how will we do these things for Jesus? What would happen? What would we look at if we, as a collective group of individuals, what would it look like if we as the church, as the corporate body, took the time each day to gauge where we are on all three of these things? It doesn't take long. It just takes a little bit of intentionality with Jesus. The gospel message is just that. How are we denying ourselves? How are we taking up our cross daily? And how are we following Jesus? This is the gospel message. Glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. Amen.